Hi there, you're listening to the Next Level Podcast, powered by ShineNow. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Next Level Podcast, uh, the podcast, the show where we bring industry leaders to come share with us their journey, their experience, and their insights of what brought them to, you know, what we call the next level. So with me today is someone that I admire a lot, someone who I think is very intelligent, uh, and also someone I respect a lot. So this is Nicole Ong, everybody. Welcome. Hi. Hello, yeah. thanks for coming to the Next Level Podcast. Mm-hmm. Last episode, we had someone from the entertainment industry, Muna. Yeah, so I like- think I watched that one. Yeah. <laughs> So like this episode, the reason why we invited you is that we mm-hmm. wanted to delve into like a world that's not so familiar with a lot of people, okay. the world of finance, mm-hmm. which just by saying that term itself, I was like, okay, a bit intimidating for me already. <laughs> so maybe you can introduce yourself to everybody that's listening. Okay. Hi, I'm Nicole. So I'm currently with a private credit fund called Kai Investment Management. Private credit would mean that we provide alternative financing to, in particular for us, the Asian SMEs who don't usually get funding from banks because the size is probably too small for banks to do or it's too large for single family offices to do. We started this firm as a spin-off from having worked together previously in other investment opportunities. And we realized the loneliness of being an entrepreneur. Some of us were ex-entrepreneurs ourselves and we thought that would give us the edge. Wow, yeah. nice. So like I have you on paper, like your, mm-hmm. a little overview of your career. And it's like, oh my goodness, like you've done already so much, you know. But before we go into that, like yeah. let's kind of like chart out like your a little background journey, mm-hmm. right? So like when you were studying after secondary school mm-hmm. and whatnot, like what did you choose? And is it related to what you're doing now? Uh, so right after secondary school, I took mass communications at Nian. And uh, no, I, I don't think I made the right choice. I don't, I realized after three years and then actually working in advertising for a while that um, it wasn't a career that I enjoyed. It wasn't something that I was particularly good at or it wasn't something that I loved. And and then I just took a break after advertising to kind of figure out, try my hand at different jobs, different industries, everything from yogurt to trading. And I really liked working in this family office trading. And I guess that's how it all started. Yeah, finance and everything. That was probably the beginning. Mm. So tell me about Athena. How did that come about? Okay, so I guess a couple of years in trading led me to kind of venture into different areas of finance, which were looking more into investing into particular deals. And Athena uh, came about because at that point in time, blockchain was this huge new thing. And I guess I just had a pension for looking at really messy things and wanting to dissect it, take it apart, hack the code and just lay it out for you simply. Um, so we thought, you know, we, a bunch of ex-traders and finance students thought that we had an advantage because we were as young as the people who were starting these companies. And we were trying to bridge the gap with investors who just didn't have the resources at that point in time or just didn't think this was a big enough trend to set up a team to just look at these deals uh, case by case. So we were like the outsourced third party who would come in and go, okay, I'll identify this for you. I will verify and make sure it's credible before you put your money into it. So we were like the CSI agents, right? Except of course, over the years, this blockchain got even more popular. Uh, People had their own in-house teams. And a lot of us pursued further education after that. I guess that's how I also realized that, you know, it was really lonely being an entrepreneur. It's really hard to build a business. You give up almost every day and you fail more times than you succeed. 
at the same time, you're really scared that, you know, you screw up and you don't know what to do with yourself, right? You know, that's probably how I found this community of girls who were doing the exact same thing. And uh, yeah, that's how I found Sogel. Nice. So Sogel was December 2018, was it? Yeah, probably December 2018. So there wasn't a chapter lead in Singapore as of yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just reached out to the HQ in New York and said, I would love to volunteer. I really want to find a community in Singapore that is going through the same thing that I'm going. Mm-hmm. I can't be the only one. Yeah. And yeah. And it just so happened that the girl who started uh, Sogal Ventures, Pocket, she was actually based in Singapore at that point of time. Nice. She still is now. Became really good friends with the rest of the community here. Yeah, I just want to like, you know, pivot off that a little bit and ask you like, what is the significance of having such a like a female-led entity like Sogal? It's community, it's support. A lot of these girls, are they're either founders or funders of, you know, different industries. And you might not find somebody who's in the exact same position as you, the exact same industry as you, but they have the same journey. It doesn't really matter what sector you're in. Truth is, most, if not all, go through the same problems on a day-to-day basis. And there's different ways that we cope, right? Uh, How do you build without burnout? How do you solve identity crisis? How do you um, pivot when when things are just not going well? And how do you, you know, trust someone enough to look in at your business and try to identify what exactly is going wrong? How do you trust someone with your baby, right? And they understand all this. And, you know, throughout the many networking events, where, you know, we try to remind ourselves, uh, remind each other and prioritize not just our mental health and our physical health, but, you know, having that social circle and trying to lean onto somebody to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. So I think most leaders have a problem. We just, we don't know how to ask for help. Mm -hmm. We don't even know what to ask for. And uh, yeah, so we just silently bury it, which gets (laughs) bad. I want to put you on the spot a little bit. Okay, mm-hmm. so with Sogel, right, um, was there a particular incident or like mm-hmm. uh, an anecdote that you can share whereby, you know, having a community really helped? There's quite a few. So when I was doing Athena, I came across a lot of incidents where I was either mistaken as the PA or I was hit on at a meeting. <laughs> yeah, there were quite a lot of embarrassing situations where I blamed myself that it was happening. I thought that for some reason I was getting passed over across um, over one of my other team members because, you know, there was something I was not doing right. And then I felt pressured to do even better the next time. And then I just realized that, oh, I just kind of realized that it was just because I was a girl. And um, Solgal kind of helped me rebuild that confidence after Athena. So I was going through a huge imposter syndrome, identity crisis thing where I just thought, you know, who did I think I was to become an entrepreneur or to think that I could lead a team? Like, what am I doing with all these people who followed me from the other jobs? Can I really give them the life that, you know, I'm promising? And you're just carrying so many things. It was so hard to unpackage and just go, wait a minute, breathe. You know, everyone else is going through the same thing. Ask for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that helped me rebuild that confidence help me understand what I was going through, actually pinpoint, connected the dots and go, okay, take a step back. You need a breather, do something else first. Mm. Yeah. 
Understood. Now, you mentioned the term right there, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. that really struck home because yeah. uh, last year at the Shine Now event, yeah. I think a lot of young people said that one of the reasons why they don't feel confident enough to like dive into the career that they want to do is because of imposter syndrome, whereby yeah. they have this fear of like, what if I don't fit in? Or like, what if mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not meant to do what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. And also because like, you know, everyone starts at a certain level, mm-hmm. but like when you are entering a space, you're kind of... Uh, immediately competing with people who have been at it for a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of overcoming imposter syndrome, like what is something that you can, you know, share or a tip that you can share for people to kind of overcome it or manage it maybe? Mm, well, my coping mechanism would be to really take a breath. Okay, I'm not sure how, okay, maybe imposter syndrome presents itself in different ways to different people. For me, it just comes as a really harshly critical voice in my head that sounds very reasonable and very rational, just going, okay, you're not right for this. You need to quit now, cut your losses, nip it in the bud. And it becomes something very hard to to rationalize with yourself and go, this is not the truth. Um, this is just your fear talking. And you need to pick this apart and find out what the root cause is. And because it comes as such a rational voice, when someone else looks in on the problem and tells you, you know what, it's not that you're doing anything wrong and you think it's something that you're doing wrong, you start to think you're crazy. So I think a lot of reflection, meditation, journaling, I look back at some of my journal entries where I'm in that zone Mm -hmm. of having or being criticized or criticizing myself. And I look at it and go like, holy shit, you are crazy. Yeah, but when you look back on it, you know how to identify the triggers that get you there and you get to stop it earlier before it becomes like a full-fledged, you know, meltdown. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, you know, in your line, you work mm-hmm. with a lot of like leaders as well. Yeah. Like, and being a leader yourself, there's this concept, like idea that mm-hmm. imposter syndrome is really just for people who are starting out. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm just wondering, like, do leaders also experience imposter syndrome? I think we experience it way more than anyone else. <laughs> um, I guess a large part of it is self-doubt. Um, and another large part of it is leaders tend to assume a lot of responsibility and think that, you know, they're responsible for every single moving part, um, which is not the truth. I mean, that's why you have a team and that's why you pick them because they're talented at what they do. We don't know how to lean in to, to talk to people and, you know, try to express and ask for help. And we try to put everything else on our plate. And at the same time, we're concerned about whether you're making enough money, uh, whether you're going to stay. They go through it a lot more. They just probably aren't very good at showing it. And that's probably why, you know, you don't get help as often because you don't know how to ask for it. Mm. Yeah. Is that something that um, you think, you know, in time to come, people can learn to manage better, like this idea of like imposter syndrome on every level? Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, I feel there are a lot of, there's a lot of podcasts, there are a lot of meditation sequences now, uh, guided stuff that that try to help you identify what's causing that imposter syndrome for you. Sometimes, you know, it's just deeply ingrained into us a certain belief that uh, we just happen to think that it's right. I mean, if you spent 29 years thinking that something is right and someone suddenly tells you it's wrong, it's a bit hard for you to suddenly change your mind. Um, But, you know, challenge yourself, be with people or, you know, connect with people who challenge you or challenge your views. And you might be able to see exactly you know, someone else is going through the same thing and, you know, you can be there for each other. Yeah. Understood. Now, on the topic of being a leader, now mm-hmm. you you are the chapter lead of Sogel in Singapore, which also means that you're a female leader. Mm-hmm. Now, what are some of the challenges that you faced being like a female leader in this industry? Mm, 
Well, I think most of the people in the Sogal community, we got there because we realized that there was a diversity gap, right? Technically, diversity in a workforce and economy makes things a lot better. And a lot of female-led businesses were not getting funded by VCs because most of the people who are sitting on VCs are men. And the fact of the matter is women sell to women better than men could ever sell to women, right? How are you going to sell me lipstick? <laughs> I wouldn't probably buy it. Would you actually know how many lipsticks I would buy in a month? You would think maybe one. How many can she use anyway? She's only got one mouth, right? But girls could probably buy up to 20. Never use all of them, but still need 20. <laughs> and I guess that's how, you know, being that kind of leader to try and champion change is not an easy task. Mm -hmm. But when you are in a group of people who are both funders and investors, it's easier for the investor to go, okay, this is what we would need if you want to propose a product like this into an industry or sector like this. And the entrepreneurs to go, okay, you know, these are the challenges that I'm facing of breaking into this industry and getting funding. What am I doing wrong? So it's like a, like everyone's helping each other to succeed. And there are a lot of great books. I think it, it was uh, She Wins, You Win, uh, where, you know, each time a woman in business succeeds, the chance for every woman after that gets higher of succeeding. And the same thing for failure, right? So we should encourage each other to succeed. I, Yeah. Screw this cancel culture. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. We're going to take a short break mm -hmm. and come back right after this. Shy Now 2020 is back and better than ever. Check out our Instagram page at NowAcademySG for some pretty epic headliner updates. Spelled with a K. All right, welcome back. So Nicole, I want to talk to you about like, you know, uh, the idea of like managing, pursuing your passions on a very personal level, mm -hmm. uh, whereby you have to deal with not just yourself, but also your family. Mm -hmm. Because um, I think in a previous episode, when I was talking to Muna, we kind of explored the idea of on one hand, understanding what you want to do, mm -hmm. but then also managing like expectations from family. Yeah. So something that Muna and I brought about was that like, we both had parents who did not really agree with what we wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then of course, we, I was watching you on Singapore social oh, as well. <laughs> okay, okay. I won't I won't mention that show too much. Okay, but yeah. um, th there was this idea of like managing family expectations mm -hmm. as well. So like, how was that like for you on your journey? Mm, well, okay. I mean, I think going into I think post secondary school, I I adopted this mantra of do first thing later, and mm. um, and you know if you already do it, there's nothing much you can do about it. I think what we need to understand is that our families are just protective of us, right? When we go through past our 16, past our 18, and we start exploring more of this world that they obviously have seen a lot more of than we have, and they have deeply believed that, you know, the way things have been done in the last 50 years should be the way that it should be done in the next 50 years, and they don't want to change it. It's going to be hard to change the mind of, like I said just now, you know, someone who's deeply believed that this is right for the last 50 years. So... Yeah, how do you even begin to explain what being an entrepreneur or blockchain is? Starting a business, you know, in the 60s or 70s was hard work and it was a brick and mortar business and it was employing like tons of people being responsible for a lot of that. The startup culture was never quite present back then. So sometimes it's not because they're opposed to what you're doing. They just don't understand it. And how do you even begin to explain, you know, what these new things are? 
So I think it just takes time, but I don't think that should stop you from trying to actually pursue what you want to do. If it's something you you feel very strongly about and it's something that you know and you can combine with what you're good with, then you should do it. You know, whether or not your parents go, I don't think you should do it. Yeah, mm. don't let that stop you. Nice. Now, what about on the friends end of things? Because mm-hmm. just now you mentioned that you you switched from mass comm to a finance mm-hmm. world. Like, did your did your social circle kind of like understand what what this world you're entering into was like? Mm, I think I've always been sort of an introvert, and yeah, and I guess my social circle has always been quite small. So mm. the fast friends that you know I've made uh, mostly have been from the same kind of finance or academic type of background. And we've stayed friends ever since. Um, but the journey of going through being an entrepreneur, or being in finance, or or being a woman in this industry, uh, there's a very few select people that I would say, you know, who I can count on for anything. Yeah. Mm. Now earlier in the in the conversation, you mentioned that there were some perceptions that people had mm-hmm. of you being a woman in this industry. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to dive deep into that a little bit. Whereby, mm-hmm. you know, how did you manage that? Like, what was it a struggle? I mean, obviously, it had to be a struggle mm-hmm. overcoming that. Um, what were some ways that you know you you kind of overcame those kind of like talk? Mm, well, I think being a young woman in in a mostly male-dominated industry kind of gets you relegated to sometimes being misunderstood as, always misunderstood as the salesperson, marketing person, the PA, uh, you get hit on at work, you think it's your dressing, but that's not really, you know, that's not the point. You shouldn't be hit on in a professional setting. You should feel safe in your industry and you should be safe in your community. So I think overcoming that is actually... Just knowing your self-worth, um, knowing that, you know, you have talent, you have merit and just you got there because of these reasons and not for anything else. And don't let anyone, you know, tell you otherwise, you know, don't let somebody point out, oh, it's because of the way you dress and therefore I'm hitting on you in a professional setting. That's not right, no matter where it is. So, yeah, I don't think it makes much of a difference. Women definitely get it more, but just have self-worth, you know, like constantly tell yourself that you are enough. Yeah. Nice. On that note, right, when mm-hmm. you were at a young age where you said, I want to go into this industry and I'm mm-hmm. ready to do that, like, obviously, there was still that imposter syndrome and whatever to, mm-hmm. to navigate through. Yeah. Like, what made you say, like, yes, I'm going to do this? Do first thing later. Ah, yeah. okay, so, okay, okay. Just do it. <laughs> well, I mean, I could always change my mind. It was a huge pivot going from advertising to finance, but, and it took a, a lot of courage to just suddenly quit because I had then had to explain to my mom like hey yeah. you know what yeah kind of did three years in advertising I don't think it's for me I'm gonna quit um yeah that was a very hard conversation so it's still probably a hard conversation now but yeah <laughs> was there anything that you would have done like differently in that sense whereby you know now that you you kind of look back on your mm-hmm. journey and say like okay I've done what I've done mm-hmm. uh any insights that you would give like younger Nicole in that sense mm. well I think the best advice I could give myself is to figure out what you want and learn how to ask for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I think there were a lot of things I thought I wanted, and um, but I, I guess I didn't really. And it, it took a lot of lessons in different industries and part-time roles before I could go, okay, that's really not for me. 
and then going, okay, uh, let me try this. But I didn't know how to ask for help and I didn't know where to turn to. Yeah, I think that's always been a problem. Is there an exercise in which you can do that? Or do you have to really go through the motion of like, okay, I've tried this? I, well, no, I. you can make lists. You can... You can talk to people in those industries first to try and figure out if that really is for you. Mm -hmm. You know, finance isn't as glamorous as it looks. It's really not like any of the finance movies you see. <laughs> um, you spent, you know, 80% of your time looking at, you know, hundreds of pages of reports. And you really have to love looking at those numbers. You have to love making sense out of this complication in front of you. You have to believe in the business enough to put money behind it. And this is not even your money. It's other people's money. So you have to be really careful with that. But just always have that pep talk with yourself, I guess. And always come back to whether this is what you truly want. Do you feel like you're fulfilling you know, the best of your talents? Are you giving it everything that you got? Yeah, mm. I want to bring you back to that point when you were in advertising, you said three years, right? Mm. And then, you know, if let's say someone has invested three years of their time into something, mm -hmm. um, the idea of like, oh, I've already done so much, like yeah. I've, I'm, I'm already this deep in. What was it that you you thought that said like, okay, I think this is definitely not for me. And that, that mm. three years, I'm mm -hmm. willing to let it go, you know? I think I did. I started, I started working in advertising because I thought that's what I studied. And therefore, that was the natural progression. And um, it was kind of fun. I mean, in advertising, you get to go to like different events. You get to work with like really exciting brands. And um, but I felt like I wasn't being challenged in the way that I wanted to be challenged. Not to say that advertising work is not challenging. It just I didn't feel fulfilled. Yeah. And what would you know at, you know, 21 or 22, what fulfillment is? Um, but it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. right. I didn't feel like, okay, you know, I don't mind working till five in the morning or I don't, uh, I just don't feel like getting up to go to work today. Right. Um, yeah. But I mean, now, you know, working from home, working where I feel working from home, you work more hours than you work in an office. Um, you're constantly motivated. You're looking for a new way to do things, you know, in the old setting, um, how to keep relevant. It's, it's just exciting for me. Yeah. Nice. Thanks for sharing that. Also, when I was looking through your social media, I realized oh that you were at a lot of networking types of events. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at, at, of course, like the Shinao event, networking is one of the pillars of the mm -hmm. event as well. Um, there's this whole idea that networking is very intimidating to people. Yeah. Uh, if you were to give any tips yeah. on the idea of like networking, what can you share with our audience? Okay, so... I'm really introverted, so it's very hard for me to network <laughs> as well. It's very hard for me to start the conversation. Okay. But I have, thankfully, a lot of very extroverted friends mm. or like extroverted team members that start the conversation and and then I contribute as and when. Um, but I guess just make sure that you're networking for the right reasons and you have a goal for it. If you're there to, you know, figure out more about the industry, then do your research on, you know, who's going to be at this networking event that, that is useful and have the questions prepared. So, yeah. Like, so I guess the two tips would be uh, pack yourself to people who are more chatty. <laughs> if you're scared of talking, starting conversations, yeah, or else, you know, yeah. pick a few. And then the second part is to be prepared and do your research, right? Yeah. All right. Definitely. Thank you so much. We're going to take one more break and be right back. It's time for another ad read, and right now I want to plug the Shine Now main event happening 28 to 29 November. Save the date. 
Okay, welcome back. So we're on our final segment with Nicole here. Now, Nicole, I want to ask you, you know, like uh, entering the uh, finance industry is mm-hmm. not something that anyone can just say, okay, I want to go in. Mm-hmm. So like when you made that switch from advertising to finance, like mm-hmm. how did you go about like navigating that? Just taking up different part-time roles in different parts of finance to actually figure out. I mean, finance is huge. There's so many different parts that you that <laughs> school doesn't really prepare you for. You learn the basics in school, but I think experience makes a huge difference into which sector you want to get into. Um, investment banking or private banking is always the sexier, most popular choice, but it's also the toughest to get into. And you don't really know, you know, probably 50, 60 hour weeks that you're going to put in for probably the next four to five years before you get to anywhere significant to what you see in the movies. And there are so many other aspects of finance that are overlooked. I guess it's just trying your hand at part-time roles, maybe even reaching out to people on LinkedIn, doing that cold messaging thing, looking at people in those industries and that exact role that you might be applying for, just going, hey, you know, I'm not from the same school as you, but I'm looking at applying a job in, in your industry, in your bank or, you know, in your firm. And I want to know, you know, do I have what it takes? What does it take? And what does your nine to five look like? Am I barking up the wrong tree? Yeah, ask for advice. Just really ask for help. Has people approached you to, to do so? Yeah, so most of the Sogal community networking events, we do that. People have talked to me on LinkedIn. Some people have reached out to me on Instagram. I just try to give you as, you know, a wide berth of what I'm doing <laughs> as possible. And definitely when people say that, you know, that they want to be a startup founder, I just warn them like, you know, it's not. It's not easy and it's not glamorous and um, it's really hard work. I hope you're prepared to like roll your sleeves up and face, you know, whatever that's going to come your way. Yeah, reach out anytime if you need advice and I can tell you, of you know, the hard falls that I took yeah. and how to avoid those. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I would say that the, the go-getter types mm-hmm. would be very easy, like in approaching people or, mm-hmm. or cold mm-hmm. messaging people. But then there are those people who are not as confident, who yeah. kind of like fear, right? Like yeah. they see like, oh my God, Nicole. So like they don't mm-hmm. know how to like approach uh, you. Is there this idea that like, is there a reason for them to be scared at all? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably more scared of you walking up to me than, you, than, you know, um, for you to walk up to me. Um, yeah, I if you're scared, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I mean, I love reaching out to people on LinkedIn as well because then I can hide behind that screen and yeah, not have to be very emotional in person. But yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah. just reach out to me for sure. I think at this point in our careers, we've all definitely done cold uh, contact yeah. before. Rejection, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if there was one tip mm-hmm. that you can do, that you can give with regard to like, cold calling or cold Mm -hmm. messaging like what is it that you can give reach out for that common factor i mean see if that person was from the same school as you they have similar interests sometimes people have you know you know great bios where they say oh you know my part-time hobby is cooking or um they happen to know a mutual friend it's easier to do cold messaging on linkedin or instagram if you have a mutual friend if not then try to find a similar interest and that gets the conversation going, I would say try to use LinkedIn more than Instagram because that's more um, in a professional setting and you don't really want, you know, to reach out just on a personal level, especially if you're looking to getting into that industry. Right. Yeah. So the tip is to be professional, but also Mm -hmm. like humanize that interaction. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So before we end this podcast, I just want to ask you like, what's the future looking like for mm-hmm. you? Do, do you have like a five-year plan, 10-year plan? Are you able to share? <laughs> yeah, I have oh, I have so many years of plans. Um, 
Well, I guess something that really hit home for me in investing now is that um, sometimes we throw money at the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And uh, what really struck a chord with me is investing sustainably or investing with a measurable impact. You know, a couple of us in Singapore, uh, both startup founders and investors, kind of got together and realized that there was a funding gap, meaning there was not enough money going to projects that actually, for example, cleared waste out of the sea or, you know, made sure that you are not using plastic straws and you're instead, you know, conserving energy, for example. Um, So, yeah, I think the next five to 10 year plan would be to really plug that gap, make a difference. You know, if more people stand in the gap, it wouldn't be such a huge hole. Try to find more people in this community who have that same idea. And yeah, hopefully, you know, we make a change in 10 years. Nice. Yeah. That's such an exciting journey. (laughs) But then for the listeners who are about to start their journey, Mm -hmm. right? uh, Let's just end off with this podcast on on some tips for them. Like Mm -hmm. if you were to give them any words of wisdom that Mm -hmm. you can share, like what would it be? Definitely still learn how to ask for it if you know what you want. Um, Don't be afraid to try different things. Uh, It's never too late to start anything either. I didn't start, you know, finance sales like 24, 25 and I thought that was late. So too late. Yeah, just go for it. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, you guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Such an insightful one for me as well. Uh, Nicole, I, thank you so much for coming thank down today. You. I, did you enjoy it? <laughs> I hope it's, you did. It's quite scary, but yes. <laughs> it's scary for me. I, I don't know if I'm asking intelligent enough questions. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. This is the Next Level Podcast. <laughs>